Father in heaven, thank you so much for those words that help us realize that in this life, it's life or death. We need to put to death the things that would distract us from you. We need to focus on you until that day when we see you face to face. So this morning, guide our words and our thoughts and the meditations upon our heart to be acceptable in your sight, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, years ago, the concept of seeing God face to face was something that did not appeal to me. And I'll tell you why. Years ago, I was over here at my grandfather's house. I was just up there last weekend. Looks about the same, except for there's a big old giant uh, fifth wheel sitting here and a dead tree I'm going to cut down when I go up there next time. But anyway, this is the place I was at last weekend, and I was, I was there preparing for this weekend here with you. The thought came to me, as I'm talking about being face-to-face with Jesus, honestly, there were times in my basically pre-converted days when I did not look forward to it. And let me explain why. Every evening, my grandfather would read the scriptures to us there, and every morning as well. But in the evening, we had the Lord's Prayer at the end of it. But some of those readings before the Lord's Prayer especially when we get down to Revelation, were a little bit concerning to me. And there were other times when he would read to me, and I would plug my ears, but there were times when I would have my ears literally physically open, and he'd be reading something that sounded like hell. And what it was was this lake of fire concept in Revelation. In Revelation, it describes this lake of fire, and I remember going back to my house across town after that and not looking forward to Jesus coming. There was a time when my heart was softened and I was kind of wanting to be a Christian and all of that. But when he read things like this, it was like, whoa. I knew the love of Christ through him and I knew this wasn't the total picture of God. But in my mind, I would be in that lake of fire. Especially as I got older and I began to rebel even more against God. Especially when I got older and I told the devil as I looked in the mirror, I said, take control of my life. I'm going to be the worst person you've ever seen. That's a covenant with the devil. And the only thing that can break that covenant is the blood of Jesus. That would come later. But when I was under that covenant, what ended up happening was I would dread every reading of Scripture, especially this one, because I pictured myself in the lake of fire. And one night I was going back from my grandfather's house. He didn't read this passage, but he read passages about fighting and thievery and all of that, and that's what I was doing. And so I went back, and this picture came to my mind before I went to bed. And I tried to pray off all the bad I had done up to that point and said, God, you know, take care of this sin and that sin and that sin and get my fire insurance before I went to bed that night because I knew if I died before I woke up that I would be in that lake of fire. No one else has ever done that, have they? But at any rate, I went to bed that night and I was in the lake of fire in my dreams. It was so real. It was, it was like being in a, one of those sauna hot rooms where you add the, you know, the water on the coals and it's just hot feeling all over the place and, and I'd come up for breath and it'd be like that hot sauna air too and they'd shove me back down. I don't know who it was, but somebody was shoving me back down under that lake and I would see like just fire in my eyes and then I'd come back up and take another hot breath and then I woke up. That was my reality. That was a nightmare. And yes, it had to do with my picture of God. My picture of God wasn't complete, and so therefore, that was what I saw when I thought of seeing God. That I would be judged, that when I saw him, I would be condemned, and that when I saw him, I would be in that lake of fire, hopeless. Now, some of you may be in that boat. I don't know. People visit here every week. If for some reason you don't have the assurance that your heart is right with God, then see me or see one of the elders after the service. We can, we can easily work that through with you. Today's an easy day to, to make it a day of salvation. Today's an easy day to say, you know what? I need Jesus. But for those of you who have committed to Jesus, what had happened if these fears were still part of your experience? You know, after I became a Christian, it was very simple for me. All I said was, God, take control of this mess. It's out of control. That was my prayer. That was my prayer. From a confined setting outside of my control because of my actions, I was sitting there, and that's all I could cry out that night was, God, take control. And I felt free, and I felt like I had this assurance of salvation. But then I would go to church, 
and they would talk about basically how you needed to live to get there. Now, that's a part of the Christian life. It's pretty clear in Ephesians that it says that you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so it's not your works, that's true, but then it goes on and it says you're created for his workmanship. He is going to work in you. There is something that's going to happen. His grace is going to work, and you're going to do good works. So I wasn't opposed to it, but I was opposed to the idea of fear, because there I had come to Christ, and the fear seemed to subside, and now here I am. And yes, there's healthy doses of fear, and yes, fear can motivate, but fear as a motivator does not last. That's what we see happening in Protestant America. Churches are being emptied by the droves because people don't want to attend anymore churches that they're just producing fear. But yes, how can I be free? My fear and your fear, if we still have fear of God and we, don't want to, we, don't, we have something between us and Him and we don't, don't have an excitement of seeing Him face to face, we don't have that joy when we sing these songs of praise, not that there's something wrong with us necessarily, individually, but maybe there's some picture of God that has, has permeated our minds to the point where we cannot fully embrace Him as our Father. And if that's the case, this whole sermon series, the goal of this whole sermon series was to say it's all about Jesus. If you've seen Him, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Him, you see exactly what you need to do in your life. If you've seen Him, then you know exactly what it means when the Bible describes the love of God. You know, because fear itself originated way back in Genesis, did it not? Uriel t- uh, prayed about that. He talked about this idea of coming into God's presence and how they, in that beautiful prayer. And as we look in Genesis chapter 3, what we notice is they begin to walk away from God through eating the fruit. Eventually, God comes to find them. And what do they do? They hide. They hide from his presence. Fear has enveloped them. It has permeated their relationships where now they are divided even against husband and wife. And God closes the gap, doesn't he? He says, where are you? He enters into that whole psychological experience of fear and he begins to try to offer something. We find in Genesis 3, he says, somebody's going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent, who's going to be able to reverse this whole scenario. And so here I stand today without fear because of the wounded one. It's not that I don't look at my life and I don't examine it and then I don't say, okay, Lord, is there anything you need to convict me of or or free me from or help me overcome? It's not that I don't do that. It's that my focus is on Him. God, is there anything you need to work through me and cleanse me of? Isaiah 53 says that this wounded servant would be wounded for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed. It took me very many years to look back in my life and to see there was a loving father all along the way and now here he is healing a lot of my wounds. Self-inflicted, inflicted by others. This is the one whom the patriarchs and the prophets all point forward to. And we find this beautiful quotation It's a century after century passed away. Finally, the voices of the prophets ceased. The hand of the oppressor was heavy upon Israel. This is during the time of Jesus. As the Jews departed from God, faith grew dim, and hope well nigh ceased to illuminate the future. The words of the prophets were uncomprehended by many, and those whose faith should have continued strong were ready to exclaim, the days are prolonged, and every vision faileth. But in heaven's counsel, catch that, This is what Ephesians talks about when it talks about the Godhead. This is what Ephesians talks about when it talks about the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, and how they, before the foundation of the world, decided to save wretched old you and me. The council. In heaven's council, the hour for the coming of Christ had been determined, and when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son to redeem them that were under the law. That's that's the problem, right? That we might receive the adoption of sons. We might be called His children. How does God treat His children? We continue on. Lessons must be given to humanity in the language of humanity. Eventually, we're going to move that children's lesson right before the sermon because I think it ties right in so many times. There's no point in separating it. 
He gives us lessons so simple that we cannot mistake them unless we don't want to see them. Unless we have somehow been brainwashed that he is a total tyrant and he is totally different than what the Bible describes. He gives humanity lesson after lesson. If you read through the Old Testament, it's so beautiful to read through with the lens of a loving father who's trying to save me and you. Because that's what the Scripture says. He wants us to be His children. So therefore, He's that loving Father from the beginning to the end. It's our human perception and our human frailty that clouds that real picture. It's seeing a Father whom you want to look up to and admire taking a guitar and smashing it over your mother's head. It's seeing a Father walk away to the bar for the very last time and you know that He's going to be divorced very soon because your mother can't take the abuse anymore. It's seeing a father who maybe isn't like that, but is so busy working and gaining houses and lands and next career move and next career move that he doesn't have time for you. These father figure pictures that we see in American society today and in yesteryear are not the picture of God. The picture of God is Jesus. So he, God sends, in case we misunderstand him, because of our human frailty, he sends a messenger of the promise or the covenant, Jesus himself. The messenger of the covenant must speak. His voice must be heard in his own temple. His voice must be heard in his own temple. Right here. Why do I focus on the words of Jesus? Because if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And if you've seen the Father, then you have everlasting life. He, the author of truth, must separate truth from the chaff of man's utterance. There are so many interpretations of Scripture. There are so many foci to look at, different focuses here and there. He tried to call them back to the Father. The principles of God's government, the plan of redemption must be clearly defined. The lessons of the Old Testament must be fully set before men. And so God sends His messenger. But the question is, would His message be heeded? Well, we go over to John chapter 3. And I know, I've heard John's sermon before, right? Repent and be baptized, right? Those of you who stole, steal no more. The soldier who's been taking and abusing his authority, quit doing that. If you're a tax collector, only collect what you're supposed to. Yeah, that's John's sermon. We find some of that example. But have you read John's sermon in John chapter 3? Because John is not the messenger. He's just pointing to the messenger who's coming. And look at his message about the messenger who's going to come. They came to John, they said, Rabbi, pastor, teacher, right? He that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptized, and all men are coming to him. And talking about Jesus, he's over there baptizing, and they're, they're coming to Jesus. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Verse 28, Ye yourselves bear with me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And so John comes, and <clears throat> what we find in this interaction is a sermon begins to develop, if you will. Words that show us who this messenger is and what he's about. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. In other words, I have not come to gather the people. I'm just pointing them to the one who's going to gather them. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, heareth the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom in the story? He's saying it's Jesus. If I'm standing there and my friend is getting married, I am exuberant for his occasion. And so John is saying people are being baptized, they're coming to Jesus, they're following him, and yes, my crowd is dwindling. Praise God. I'm happy. And not just because God's plan is being fulfilled, but because John has heard Jesus' words. He heareth him and rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. That still small voice, yes. That voice that you hear out in nature that says, wow, God, look at God, what God has done. It's almost like the angels are whispering to us every once in a while saying, hey, Murray, look at that beautiful waterfall. It didn't come here by accident. So those beautiful thoughts that come to us, yes, that's beautiful, but the voice of Jesus is more beautiful. And John says that. He was rejoicing because the bridegroom's voice, this my joy thereof is fulfilled. This is what I wanted to see. This is what I wanted to hear was the voice of Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. Classic line out of the scriptures, John saying, listen to his voice. I'm 
happy to hear it. The prophets of old wanted to hear it. They all looked forward to it. And I was pointing you to it. And now here it is, the voice of Jesus. People were responding to the voice of Jesus. And so he goes on, He that cometh from above is above all. In other words, John's saying, I didn't come from above. Yeah, my parents had the Abraham and Sarah experience of a miracle birth, but I didn't come from above. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. He's above me, John's saying. And what he has seen and heard, he testifieth. So John is saying the very words of Jesus that you're hearing, the reason why all these crowds are going to him is because God of heaven ordained all of that and he is just telling people the things of heaven that he's heard from heaven. It's kind of like those bunny ears, right? There I was last, uh, yesterday and I was watching... Uh, better life television and you kind of wish that you had a better connection sometime to the local thing and I've got my bunny ears up there I'm arranging it but there's static all over the screen you know what I'm talking about and there's somebody on there I recognize his voice but I really don't who is this it was Jamie George you know it was like he was going through places where Asian aid was at and I was like that's Jamie because he started playing the vine that's got to be Jamie George and it wasn't until he put down across the bottom of the screen Jamie George oh yeah I was right Isn't that kind of what we're talking about here? We hear in part, Jesus has been there. He's had the perfect clarity of heaven. He's like turning on the Roku or the satellite. You see it perfect there, right? Jesus has had that perfect revelation. He was up in heaven. He had the perfect clarity. He comes down to share it with us with our poor bunny ears. And that's what we have talking about here. John is saying he's got the clarity. He's above all. He has seen and heard. And now he's telling you. And no one is receiving his testimony. Yeah, there are people going after him, but that's nothing compared to what should be happening. And he who has received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true, has testified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure to him. In other words, you want a modern English translation or a Miller translation, in the Greek it's saying, God pours out the Spirit without measure on Jesus. God pours the Spirit without measure on Jesus. Because of that connection that Jesus has with heaven. The Father loves the Son, has given all things into His hand. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. Oh, how I wish I would have read that scripture that night when I was sitting there thinking about hell and me plunging down into the depths of hell forever and ever. Because if I could have just said, have I seen Jesus? Do I know Jesus? The answer would have been no. All right, then how do I get to know him tonight? And then I could have been free. Took quite a few years later on. But here's the point as well. John is preaching to religious people, not to some non-Christian pagan person like me out in the middle of southern Oregon hills. He was preaching to Christian people sitting in the pews and saying to them, if you believe on the Son, you have everlasting life, and the wrath of God will not abide on you. But if you don't, that's why you're living with fear and wrath. If we're living with fear and wrath, it's because we have focused on all kinds of other things besides the voice and the words of Jesus. I'll say it again. If we're living with fear or wrath, it's because we have focused on all kinds of other things and maybe even programs and all kinds of things other than the words and voice of Jesus. If we focus on the words of Jesus, there is none of that fear. It's not that you don't have a healthy respect for God. It's not that you don't say, wow, you're high and lifted up. John's saying that. It's that the fear is gone. Your motive is no longer fear. You see the great love of God for you. So why is there fear even in the church today? It's because we're not listening to the words of Jesus. It's because in some way or another, we're afraid of him. They were afraid of Jesus and they denied the very miracles that he did, the very works that he did. They denied them and said he's of the devil. Read John 3 all the way down through 7. You're going to find they eventually get to the point where they're fed up with Jesus and they call him a Samaritan, which means he's a half-breed. So what is he? He's, he's an immoral person who we shouldn't even listen to. That's how bad they get with Jesus. And as we look at that, that's a denial of the Holy Spirit that was poured out in the life and ministry of Jesus that did all the miracles of healing the blind and the lame and the deaf. And so why is there fear then eventually in their hearts? Because they don't want to accept 
the beautiful thing that's happening before their very eyes, that God loves broken people. That God comes to broken people face to face. That God comes to them in their darkest night. It comes to them in their frailty and says, take up your mat and walk. And I believe there's fear because Eternal life is not something currently experienced. It's something way off in the future, possibly, in some people's minds. After the judgment has taken place. Well, as I read Great Controversy and other books and things in the Bible, I find that it's pretty clear. If you don't have a close walk with Jesus, you're not even going to make it down to the end of time. And neither will I. So we need to have that close walk now. We need to know His voice now. That's why John goes on and says, He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. They are not believing on Jesus. And so therefore, if we find ourselves in any way in this camp, and mind you, it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a slow fade. It's a grooming process. The devil grooms us over time to get to the point where we don't want to hear the voice of Jesus. We want to hear other things. Then what happens is we run away from the very voice of God. We end up in the Garden of Eden all over again. And we don't see the one who was wounded for us. We don't look forward to that. Well, we go to John chapter 4. We find that's not the experience of everybody. John chapter 4 is an experience that I want to keep having every day. It says in John chapter 4, there's this woman at the well. She's desiring water. She's desiring not to come to this old well again. And what does Jesus provide? Living water. Living water. And she says to him, I know the Messiah comes. He's going to come, which is called the Christ. When he has come, he's going to tell us all things. And here's Jesus talking to her. Here's the Messiah talking to her. He says, I that speak unto thee am he. I'm the Messiah. She didn't even recognize the words of Jesus. But all of a sudden, since he's told her everything he's ever, she's ever done, she goes running back to the village. And what happens? She gets a crowd. His disciples, meanwhile, are coming back and marvels that he's talking with this woman and yet they don't want to say anything. And the woman leaves her water pot, goes her way to the city, says to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Now, it's interesting. She goes to the men. That's a whole other sermon. But uh, which men? Maybe some of the ones that she's known. And we know from the text that she's known several men. And so some of them know her reputation. Some of them know her life. Who is she going to then? The ones that know her. And she's telling him, this guy knows everything. And I never even told him anything. Is this the Christ? Maybe they need forgiveness too. Maybe some of those very men need forgiveness too. And the question is, do they listen? Are they afraid and say, oh no, he's going to expose my sin. Or he's, I, if this is the Messiah, he'll see right through my masquerade that I have going on. No, actually they all come. It says in John 4, Verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode for their two days. And many more believed because of his own word, not her testimony anymore. It's, it's the fact of his beautiful words. And later on, the Jews must have heard about this, and they're like, you're a Samaritan. They, they pick on Jesus. But the Samaritans got it. And many of the chosen in that day did not get it, even when Jesus was speaking clear as day to them. That's where as we go down further on in John chapter 5, Jesus begins in chapter 4, verse 46, to heal people. And he even sees people on the Sabbath day. And what's interesting is as he heals somebody on the Sabbath day, they begin to persecute him even more. I mean, he's had this conversion experience of many people over in Samaria. Now he's coming amongst us. He's preaching and healing people, breaking our rules. And what happens? Look at verse 16. Therefore, did the Jews persecute Jesus which means to go after and to hound. They want to chase him down. They want to mutilate him. They want to get rid of him and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. In other words, if you knew the father, you would know that what I'm doing is what he would do. What does that tell us? Sabbath mornings are not just mornings for us to come together and learn. Sabbath mornings are places where we can come together to experience also healing. And as we look, the Father 
was working all the way through the Sabbath, heard that prayer, had his son Jesus heal that man, and did a miracle on the Sabbath. They were persecuting him, not because of the breaking the Sabbath rule, and that was part of it, but it was also the main root of the problem was they didn't know the Father. They didn't recognize the Father, or they would have said, yeah, he's doing just what his Father does. You've heard the old saying, like father, like son. Well, they didn't know the father to compare the son to. So they had no experience with the father. That's why they sought more to kill him. Because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And the text continues on. Then answered Jesus and said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son, so I can't do anything except for the Father has shown me these things. For the Father loves the Son, shows him all things that himself, he himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that you will marvel. For as the Father raised up the dead and quickeneth them, or brought them, not just like lifting them up in the air, but brought them physical vitality, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. I mean, the devil at the end of time, we find he's, he claims to raise the dead and all of that, but look at their body and their limbs, you know? God raises people, and it's like brand new. It's like the girl who's, who's asleep, and he goes up, and he tells, tells her, arise, and she wakes up and does, doesn't even know that she's even been sick, some of these people. They are cured and physically quickened and brought life. So he's saying, you're going to see people come back from the dead before this thing is done and said and done, all said and done. And so does Jesus do that? He does that. He shows them that the Father is about bringing life. And how did he learn to do that? He says, I watched my daddy. I watched my father. I watched my father make worlds long before this world. In fact, you find in in Hebrews, Jesus is the agent of creation. So the father and him are creating things way before this world. I watched my father and how he dealt with ancient Israel. I watched my father and saw how he his heart was wounded long before that in the days of Noah. I watched my father as the temple was being rebuilt and the worship of God being reestablished in Daniel's day. I watched my father all the way down through time till I was born. One of you. The life of Jesus is the result of an intimate oneness with the Father. The likes of which that Jesus says in John 14 through 17 that we can have as well. Am I willing to get that close to the Father, though? My Father, still alive, so I won't talk much about him. But something must have happened because in his way of showing affection, you can't get that close. I mean, I can literally walk up to him and hug him. I'm hugging a Borg. I mean, there's a difference between something happened in his relationship with the Father and then even though I didn't have him as a father very much, I had a father who looked after me. And now, you wonder why my little boy runs down the center aisle to, up here? Two reasons. It's like a sheep out of a, out of a pen. And it gets, whew, okay, you just can't control it. And number two, who's sitting up here? His dad. There's some reason why that happens. And what kind of hug is that? I mean... If he was to embrace me right here in front of you when I'm sitting down here and wanted to just jump all over me, you'd be like, his, he loves his daddy. If he just walked up to his daddy and, and said, uh, hit him on the head, said, I hate you, daddy, then you would know something else, right? So there's something being reflected there. I didn't have that. And that's the problem with the Jews of Jesus' day. It's like the stiff board effect. They, they don't know what it means to get close to God. And honestly, I don't always know what it means to be close to God. He has to approach me and teach me and keep telling me, Murray, this is something between us. You need to take care of this. Or, or Murray, what about this? Or, or Murray, look up and see this. And I'm like, oh, wow. And he, he embraces me in so many ways. And so they didn't know the Father. They didn't know that life-giving vitality of the Father. They didn't have that picture. And so therefore, anybody who came along was a threat and someone to be afraid of. Somehow it would take away their authority. Somehow it would take away their assurance that what they're doing bought them a way to heaven. But unfortunately, they never saw the statement that said, you can never pay it. 
They never even, they, they, they always, it was always way off yonder. It was always, yeah, I've done all these things. I'm the rich young ruler. But I never have an assurance that it's all paid in full. They needed Jesus. And that's why Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus, Jesus says, you've got to be born again. You, you, you're not my child. You're not the child of the Father that you need to be. And it's not until Nicodemus sees Jesus on the cross, takes his body down, wraps it with Joseph of Arimathea, and eventually he gives away everything, we're told, to support the message of Jesus. He comes out openly for Jesus. It's not until somewhere down the line there, after John 3, that he becomes a child of God. Something is separating him. If there's something separating you from the Father, it's time to take care of it. And the best way I know how is to spend that time each day not just reading a book for academic purposes, but reading it to say, God, how close can you get to me today? Because as we continue on, it says, the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. If you want to read some interesting articles about this, we'll look up uh, Richard Che, C-H-O-I. I know it sounds like C-H-A-I, but it's C-H-O-I. And he has written many articles about the Godhead and how they serve one another. Kind of like in the family, we, we're, we have roles, but we're, we're, we're also serving one another. We're equals as well. So you have this beautiful thing going on here. I thought in the Old Testament, the Ancient of Days, you find in Daniel 7, is supposed to be who? Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. It's the Father, right? But what do we have here? At a certain point, the Father actually hands that judgment over to the Son. He actually humbles himself and gives away a role that he actually has right, right to play. He should be sitting on the throne judging. He gives it to the Son. Why? Because the Son has come close to us. We cannot deny how close the Father has come if we look at the Son. We see God the Father face to face through the Son. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Because if you honor the Son, you honor the Father. He that does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And Jesus said, and this is a memory verse that I've been memorizing for years, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that hears my word and believe in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come to judgment, but has passed from death unto life. What is this saying? The words of Jesus are packed with life. And it's not just, I'm going to raise a little girl from the dead or I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to raise you and me, Jesus says, down through time, Murray and his people in the congregation, people all over the world, I'm going to raise them to vitality in life. Because if you look at the text, Jesus is talking to people who are very religious, and he says, if you believe on him that sent me, you have, present tense in the Greek, you have it. And they don't have it. And he's offering it to them. Do you hear the pleading voice of Jesus to these people? He's saying, how long have I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers you under her wings? I know some don't understand that. They think of God as you know, hands and all this stuff. It's a figure of speech. Israel will be gathered and protected like a mother hen protects her children. And so he's pleading with them. He's like, come to me, I'll give you life. And you will not come into condemnation. That's a judgment language that says guilty verdict. So if I have Jesus in my life, if I have accepted him as my Savior, the judgment is good news. Not because of me, but because God is vindicated in that judgment and the verdict is not guilty if I choose to remain faithful to him. And then he goes on, Verily, verily, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Not only can we experience this eternal life, this assurance now, but he says if you were to die, that's not it. That's not even the end. I've got life even beyond that. Even if you live a wonderful life now, if that was it, that would be good enough for me. Living with peace and communion with God. But that's not the all. God says it gets better. Jesus says it gets better. You'll hear the voice of the Son of God. I will wake you up. My voice will wake you up. If you don't know his voice, then the question is, if, you don't, if we don't know his voice now, or if we're afraid of hearing his voice now, if we're afraid of asking him, God, can you speak to me through your word? Then I don't think we're going to hear his voice later. Maybe that's a little homiletical or preacher license, 
But it seems clear if we don't know his voice, if his sheep don't know his voice, they don't know to follow. If they don't know to follow, then they won't follow the lamb all the way through. If they don't follow the lamb all the way through, then they won't hear his voice at the resurrection. That's why I have been harping on this the last two years. Folks, I need to hear the voice of Jesus every day. We need to hear the voice of Jesus every day. We need to open up that word and spend, I don't care if it's five minutes, I don't care if it's 30 minutes, I don't care if it's two hours, whatever it does for you. Spend that time with Jesus. Because otherwise, we won't come forth in the resurrection of life, but the resurrection of damnation. We'll come forth in a resurrection that doesn't have the vitality that Jesus offers. And it's all from hearing his voice. And Jesus comes along, this is part of our if you've been following along with that Bible reading plan, this is part of our memory verses. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. He shined, didn't he? And you chose to rejoice in his light. But I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work which the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. If Jesus, Jesus says, if you don't believe John, believe my miracles. Believe the way I live my life. Believe the way I treat the sinner. Believe the way I treat you. And so John had heard of Jesus. He pointed others to Jesus. And now Jesus is basically a shout from heaven saying, love me back. I have loved you dearly. Jesus goes on. The Father himself has sent me. He's borne witness to me. You have neither, or as the New International Version says, you have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one whom he sent. That's an amazing equation, isn't it? There's, there's an equation in there. You do not have his word abiding in you. And I think the equation is right here. And I know we focus right down here. Search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. I remember I heard that verse when I first became a Christian. Someone said, spend your time in the scriptures. You know, that's good and dandy. But if I don't spend the time in scriptures and see that they testify of Jesus, then what have I done? I've become academically aware of scripture. That's it. I have not had it hit my heart. And so Jesus says, you've got to have this. You've got to have this word abiding in you. You've got to see his shape or form. You've got to have his voice. Otherwise, this is worthless. And you will not come to me that you may have life. They had a lot of knowledge, but they didn't hear the Father's voice. And this is, if you want to diagram it, this is the way it is. Look to Jesus. Have his words abiding in you. And then you'll begin to you really begin to acknowledge and see the Father. I know there's no other there's no other way. You've got to look to Jesus, have His words. That means spending time with Him, and then eventually you will see Him face to face. That's the experience. And so I find Jesus is the answer for everything. And in this crowd, who do I want to be? That guy sitting over there, going, "Huh, I don't know about this, Jesus." Or do I want to be over on this other side over here? These guys here going, wow, he's, his words, they burn within me. I got I to gotta know more. That's really the, the, the equation, that, that it's really the contrast in this text in John 5. Am I these guys over here who are saying, I'm not listening to you. You're of the devil. You're a Samaritan. You do these miracles of the devil. So they rejected every piece of testimony. You're not from heaven. That's not your father. So he, they rejected that too. All the way down to rejecting God the Father. And Jesus has to tell them, I know who your father is. They're like, our father is Abraham. And Jesus says, no, that's not your father. You've got murder in your heart. You're the same guy back in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent. I want to be the ones who come to Jesus like the children and the ones who are looking to him with eyes of anticipation. I want to be able to overcome that fear I want to have Jesus in me, as 1 John says later on. John wrote another book, and here it is in 1 John. And John says, you're of God, little children. Have overcome them, that's the things in the world, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You're not going to overcome the political scene and everything else and the wars and rumors of wars and the, everything that's going on in the world and the, all of the evil apart from Jesus. If you look to that as a steady diet, then I believe overcoming is way far away from the Christian experience for you. But if you look, and you and I look to Jesus, and he's in us, I mean, in other words, you've invited him into your life, then if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in you, 
or in him, and he in God. They are one with God, and we have known and believed that the love of God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Jesus said earlier about abiding in him. And John later on writes and says, Jesus is the only way to be one with the Father and to be that close to the Father, face to face. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, not like, oh God, you, know, you, you deserve to give me an innocent verdict. You know, I covered my tracks really well and covered all the evidence. No, it's God, you saw everything and yet you forgave me. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We cannot overflow to the world in need unless we have the Father in us. There is then no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear has torment. It torments you like it did to me. He that fears is not made perfect in love or com complete or mature. That's what that scripture reading is about, growing in Christ. We love him because he first loved us. So John is clear from the beginning of his book down to the first John book that you have to have Jesus in your life. And if you believe in the Son, you have life. If you don't believe in the Son of God, you don't have life. But if you believe in him, if you believe in the Son, he that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. So when you get to see God face to face, you don't obliterate because you've got the Godhead living in your heart. Is that heinous? Is that somehow heretical? Well, John's talking about it. And if you look at the context, he's talking about the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Or he calls the Son the Word. And he talks about having them in us. If you don't have that witness in yourself, then if you don't believe, eventually what happens is you become a witness against truth. Fear envelops, and in the judgment, your evidence and my evidence, if we chose to go the opposite route of God, is saying God is wrong. And I have known no case in the Bible where God has been proven wrong. So if you find that route, the Bible says you'll be shown to be a liar. That's a fearful thing to be shown a liar in the courts of the universe. So if there's fear, it's because, God, are you in my life? If you're in my life, I have no fear. That's why he goes on and says, and this is the record that God has given us eternal life. This is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So these are Christians he's writing to now. Not people in John chapter 5 back there who are picking up stones to go after Jesus. These are people who say, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. And they don't have the assurance fully. And John has to write to them to say, it's all right. If you've got this, it's this simple. If you've got the Son, you've got life. And I'm writing these things to you who believe so that you may know right now. You may know that you have eternal life. And it's all by continuing to believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, he's encouraging them to keep believing, keep searching, keep allowing God to come close to you. If you do that, and if I do that, then I don't have to see him with fear. I can see him face to face. All I have to do then is stay connected with him until he comes. And I already talked about how that took, takes place every day with Jesus. And it takes time. And next week we'll have plenty of stories and examples of that from Elder Gottke, who comes to share with us. But that's the only way we're going to have the true unity and the true mission of Jesus. And that's the only way we're going to have face-to-face -face communion is if we have that time with him now. You know, on Facebook and other things, you can have FaceTime, right? With your electronic device. I mean, I see these fathers who are in my doctoral class, and I've got a flip phone, and they've got this smartphone. And what are they doing? Well, they're having FaceTime with their family during an intermission period in the church service, and they're showing their family the congregation, and they're showing their family, the, you know, they're starting to sing songs, and then they're turning it back to themselves and saying, here's a friend of mine over here, and turn it over to me. They're staying connected. And if we can do that with technology, I mean, this book here, we can do that with. If you can't figure out a smartphone, and some people say it's too smart for me, then God has given us this. It's very easy to figure out. Get a version that works for you, use it, and you'll find that face-to-face -face time will prepare you to be with him forever. And so then Jesus will change the picture. It won't be that I'm over at my grandfather's house and he, he can't read now, but the, the scripture was read about the lake of fire and all of a sudden I'm having dreams that night. No, it'll be, it'll be that I'm the one reading scripture 
because he can't read anymore. And as I read the scripture, it reaffirms that I'm going to stay focused on Jesus and I'm not going to be in the lake of fire. I'm going to spend my time with my friend. And so that picture of the fiery place, that picture of fear changes then if my picture of God changes. If I look to Jesus over and over again, it changes my picture of God to the point where, yes, that has to happen, but we know what happens after this. The world is made new. Jesus remakes the whole world. He, unite, he has already united our families that we've lost who followed him. We're all united together. It becomes a family reunion picture, and it feels different. It becomes, I am free of that fear. Not that I'm not aware and, and, and honestly saying, okay, Lord, I don't want to be a part of that because I want to be with you. And so then my time alone with Jesus looks like this. I spend that time with him. I then have his spirit guiding me in my daily life as, I, as I'm apart from reading the scriptures. Maybe I'm memorizing them or going throughout my day. And eventually I begin to share Jesus and I focus on sharing Jesus. I focus on preparing people to see him face to face. And then, then I am ready to see him face to face. This uh, story here, the last letter I was sharing it during the children's story, the letters that my wife wrote me. One of the last letters that she wrote me was to be read on the plane ride home. Now, why was that important? I'll tell you why it was important. Because, you know, in my suit jacket, I had placed a little, uh, shall we say, a flyer somebody gave me. It was supposed to be a note, a personal note to my wife. And I remember I had taken it out and put it in my Bible. And here I was opening up my Bible. And inside that Bible was that little personal note to my wife. And I, on the plane ride home, before I opened my wife's letter, I was looking at this one. I was going to put them together and, and get home and, and basically give her that. And I'm, so I'm looking at that little piece of paper inside my Bible. I unfolded it. And it was an invitation to the opposition party meeting in Zimbabwe, Africa, to oppose Mugabe while I was there in Africa. You know what happened at that opposition party meeting? People were arrested, they disappeared, and were buried out at Seleucia University in the ground. They were dead. So here I was carrying around a piece of propaganda and fear that could have literally gotten me killed, or at least, you know, arrested for a period of time. They'd found out about it. And I was a little bit disturbed. And I was like, oh, wow, Lord. I came pretty close, didn't I? And so I remember I was reading my Bible. They're trying to get rid of that. And then I remembered, I've got that note from my wife. So here's the fear note, right? And here's this one. And I opened it up, and it was, read on the, pr- plane, on the front, read on the plane ride home. So I opened it up, and basically the gist of it is, and I have to find it to read the whole thing to you, looking forward to seeing you soon. It we went through some other things as well, but I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. What happened to the previous feeling? It's totally replaced by a feeling of soon, I'm going to see my wife face to face. Soon, I'm going to touch down and be far away from these problems that I'm, talk, I'm reading about right now in this other little note. Soon, I'm going to be with the one I love. Now that letter there is basically contained in the Bible, isn't it? Every single chapter, it's saying, yeah, there's some mistakes people made in there. Yeah, there's some things you, you don't want to be a part of. But look at this. Look at this. And the picture that he replaces the fiery one with is this one. Now, I put them both side by side because this one didn't have Jesus in it. This is Jesus here is the reason why. And you've got the lion over there and he's going to have the lamb in the background. And the, look at these angels flying from out the city. And this one here I liked because it had the, the beautiful sunbeams flying out of it. And this lady just like, wow, God. That is the picture that we will have when we see Jesus face to face. And so I want to stay connected with him. I want to be focused on him every day until I see that picture. What about you? Our closing song talks about this and this idea of face-to-face with Christ my Savior. Face-to-face, what will it be? When I, with eyes I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Let's pull that out uh, of the hymnal or you can watch, read it up on the screen. Let's sing face-to-face with Jesus.
with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I Jesus Christ to shall see him by him by only faintly now I see him with the darkening veil between but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen shall see him by, him by. What rejoicing in his presence when our banished grief and pain, when the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. Shall I behold him far beyond the starry sky? Face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. Face to face, O oh blissful moment. Face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Face to face shall I behold Him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all His glory. shall see him by, him by. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus to give us a clear revelation of your love and your character, but also of the infinite sacrifice that you're willing to make for each one of us. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you that we can ask you into our lives again today. So we ask you to come into our hearts, Lord. May you renew within us that steadfast spirit. Until that day when we see you face to face, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.